Welcome to Concussion Stories, a Life Yana podcast series filled with hope. I'm here to let you know that you are not alone in your concussion recovery. I'm Melanie, and I spent more than six years experimenting, training, and learning in order to heal myself from a very bad case of post-concussion syndrome. And today, I feel better than ever before. In Concussion Stories, we dig deep while discussing hopeful stories of recovery, as well as the hard stuff in the messy middle. If you're struggling to focus, be sure to take breaks. Down in the description of each episode, you can find a table of contents in case you want to skip ahead. Let's dive right in. Today, I speak with Lindsay Wilson, Professor of Neuropsychology at the University of Stirling in the UK. Just like Emeritus Professor Andrew Maas, with whom I spoke in a previous Concussion Stories episode, Lindsay is part of Sendar TBI. This is a large European research project that aims to improve the care for patients with traumatic brain injury. Lindsay's research is focused on traumatic brain injury in combination with quality of life, coping strategies, as well as PTSD. He has also dedicated a lot of time to unmistakably point out that the medical field needs better methods of diagnosing brain injury. Almost immediately after contacting him, even though he was on leave, Lindsay answered that he'd be happy to be here with us. I'm at least as happy that he is here today, so let's start this conversation. Welcome, Lindsay, to our Concussion Stories episode today, and thank you for being here with me. Well, thank you for inviting me. I wanted to uh, say that I found it quite special that you immediately told me after uh, getting into touch with me that um, I could leave the formalities aside and call you just Lindsay. And this uh, tells me a bit about who you are already, but I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about yourself. So what are things you like to do and who are people you like to spend your time with? Well, Melanie, I live in Scotland, and uh, one of the great things about living here is, the, is enjoying the outdoor world. And so we go hill walking and sailing, and uh, I like to do that with my wife and uh, my children and friends. So that's how I, I most enjoy my spare time. That sounds wonderful. I, um, as I already told you, I live in Amsterdam, and it's quite a different life. Yeah, there's not many hills in in Holland. No, and no, no, that's true. And I would say also not as much wild nature as you have, I get that. Yes, I'm sure that's true. So can you explain to our listeners, what does a professor of neuropsychology do? And also, um, what does it mean um, to be a neuropsychologist to you personally? Well, neuropsychology is a combination of neuro and psychology. So it's really about the relationship between psychology and the brain. And for me, the brain is absolutely fascinating. I think it's, uh, it's one of the most complex uh, uh, things in the universe, in fact, and one of the most difficult things to understand. But we can see over the past 50 years, there's been huge progress in understanding the brain and uh, there will continue to be progress. So for me, it's uh, it's part of it, studying the brain is part of a journey with uh, many other people. Mm. It's wonderful that you see it this way, and I think this imagination is what you would need 
to to uh, really be good at what you do uh, in this field. Yeah, I think the. I mean, I think one has to be uh, inclusive and to think uh, uh, creatively about problems and the way that that the uh, problems in, in daily life, for example, relate to problems in, in, in the brain itself. And that's why I got interested in traumatic brain injury, because it gives an opportunity not just to study the brain as a, an academic subject, but something that's of uh, relevance to the individual. As a neuropsychologist, I've seen many, many people who've uh, suffered traumatic brain injury. And one of the things that's very clear is how diverse, uh, diverse the consequences are for, for, for people that people they can have very, uh, what appear to be minor injuries and suffer uh, considerable consequences and others have severe injuries but can make uh, surprisingly good recoveries. So it's, uh, it's fascinating to see this. Yes, yes, I can fully imagine um, um, as a scientist also looking at this uh, from your perspective that it is really um, fascinating. And um, uh, of course, for a lot of uh, our listeners, it's really a very harsh reality. And um, I was wondering, what are the things um, as a neuropsychologist uh, you are looking into? So what are the things that are coming after a concussion, really, um, that people can maybe recognize? Um, well, there's, there's a range of different things that, that uh, come under neuropsychology, and they include uh, a cognitive changes, one of the key uh, ex pieces of expertise for neuropsychology is in studying cognitive uh, performance and different aspects of it. But there's other things that are important as well, such as um, emotional, the emotional consequences of injury, uh, depression, anxiety, um, as well as this, the overall effect it has on the person, how they function in daily life and also their overall feeling of, uh, of adjustment in daily life. So all of these all of these things are part of uh, part of what uh, I've been studying as a neuropsychologist. Mm. And how um, rare or how normal would you say these kind of effects that you just described are for people who have sustained a concussion and who are who need a longer time to heal? Um, well, they're they're surprisingly common. Um, not uh, not major cognitive problems certainly but uh, but minor ones and also lots of different kinds of symptoms that people report after uh, mild tbi or concussion um, and one of the surprising things is how long uh, these can last and also how what uh, what a what a sizable proportion of people this amounts to in terms of uh, the effects of tbi Yes, yes, this is, uh, and Rumas has uh, discussed a lot of these uh, numbers indeed with us in the last episode. And um, he has really, um, um, well, put a finger on the size of this, um, well, the way he said it, mild TBI is not so mild. And that is really, uh, I think, uh, hitting the nail on its head. Um, I I was wondering if you say 
a minor cognitive what did you say minor cognitive impairment yeah impairment, yes what what would you describe what are things in this category um well it, for example people might uh, find that they're they're slower than they were before or their memory is not quite as good and it might not account uh, amount to what would be considered a, a classic impairment in memory or uh, uh, or a clear slowing if you compare it with the normal population. But for the person, there's definitely a difference there. They've, they've lost something after the, the brain injury. So these are, um, these are, there can be subtle changes in, in cognition, which, uh, you, which can be picked up with testing. Yes, yes. And sometimes also not that's it's uh that's something that uh andrew and i also talked about uh, um i can for example in my case uh when i first went to neurologist and they did all the tests and i also got a ct scan uh, they told me that i was nothing was wrong with me that were the words and i said but i feel that something is really wrong with me so these are the so subtle changes that you also talked about and then he said again, now nothing is wrong with you. This is good news. And I understood that there could have been worse news. Yes. So I was happy that there weren't any worse things going on with me, but still there was no good news for me because now I was not only feeling uh, that something was wrong, but also the doctor couldn't see it. And that that's something that a lot of us struggle with. And that's something also that Andrew also talks about a lot the last time that CT scans often fail to see a mild brain injury. Yeah, absolutely. The, the one of the most important kinds of brain injury is diffuse axonal injury. That's a microscopic injury to the uh, neurons in the brain. And CT just doesn't see that at all. It can sometimes in severe cases it'll pick up uh, indications of such injuries, but but not, but not in mild cases. So there's a lot of limitations to current imaging and other ways of detecting uh, the uh, the effects of a head injury. Yes, um, I believe you have also written that there is a need to go beyond the idea that only a single outcome is needed to assess uh, individuals after a TBI, right? Can you? Yeah, can that's. You... Yeah, certainly. And that, that's really to do with what I was saying a, a bit earlier about the need to look at different aspects of uh, the consequences, including emotional factors and, <clears throat> and also cognitive factors. Traditionally, what people have concentrated on after a brain injury has been people's functional outcome, that is return to work, return to independent living, uh, these, these aspects. But there's a lot more to it than that. And certainly in, in mild TBI, it's clear there's a lot of uh, different uh, uh, consequences. Yes, yes. Because you have already touched upon the subjects of anxiety and depression both of which I have experienced myself as well um, and I've fully recovered from. So um, it's very important for people, I think, to know that that's possible. Um, but these are things that 
no doctor ever told me about when I had my concussion. And um, I also had, um, I think I was very late in diagnosing myself with them. So saying that something was wrong and that, that I needed help. Um, but also because I never knew before what was hitting me. I never knew all of these things that were washing over me that I never expected. Do you recognize this from your research as well? This is, this is really very common, Melanie. This is a common experience. And particularly in the early stages, um, it's, it's exceedingly common to have some symptoms or problems after a mild TBI. And the, for most people, these will, these will go away, but it takes quite a long time. And uh, uh, we know that it, that it can take up to three months, for example, for symptoms to, to subside uh, for people with mild TBI. I mean, there are, there's a group also that's, that suffer for longer, but uh, uh, for, for many people, it will be uh, months, weeks or months that uh, they have symptoms. And people don't expect that. They don't expect to have symptoms for such a long time. And it's quite disturbing that, to have these symptoms. And it means it can affect your work and so forth. And uh, you're not expecting it. And uh, it, what it produces anxiety and concern about yourself that, that if you if you expected it you would be you would be better prepared and it might be might be less of a problem yes exactly and it's also not exactly one of the subjects that we were taught in school how to deal with adversity well and, exactly yes yeah and 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 then um when you're in the middle of this process when your brain is broken and you need it the most but you cannot really use it you need to learn all of these, um, well, the way you say it, coping strategies in order to be able to manage your recovery. Yes, uh, exactly. let, alone, let alone find the way how to recover. So I know that a lot of people uh, indeed recover within the first uh, three months, but also people um, that are listening now um, have had their concussion for longer than that time and um it's been really hard for them uh to to adapt to find a way uh especially when uh, the medical field doesn't always know what to do with them i think that's right there, there it's it does only just becoming recognized um that people do continue to have problems after mild tbi and it's really, it, it really can be quite a, a high proportion of people, uh, perhaps a third or a half at six months and uh, continuing 12 months and beyond. And even very long-term follow-up, we know that people can continue to have problems uh, after an apparently mild TBI. Yes, yes. And um, um, coming back to uh, the emotional consequences that you just described. So, for example, um, uh, first... I think there are a bit milder consequences, like you feel that you can't keep up with work. It's harder to uh, fulfill expectations that others have of you um, because you could do things before and now you can't. Um, and you feel like you're failing loved ones, for example, because you can't do everything again uh, anymore. And then after a while, for example, if you can't go back to work, um, and if you can do sports and uh, can meet friends in restaurants, etc., 
um, isolation often creeps in. And from there, things like anxiety, panic attacks, depression are for um, people have a bigger risk to um, to experience them than before, right? I feel it's like adding up, all piling up. Do you see the same? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. This is um, what you're describing is quite a common is, is a common experience that um, people for people, for example, uh, try to when well, they go back to work and they find that they can't do uh, things as quickly as they could before. They might find that things are difficult. Um, colleagues might get a bit frustrated by them because they're because they're slower. And the person themselves begins to uh, obviously feels uh, feels badly about it and starts to to worry about it. And in the worst case, they may they may lose their uh, their job because of because the, they're not performing as the, as they as they should be. So you get you get a whole cycle of problems that, that can be set up by by what what at first it seems like a fairly uh, a, a, quite a small or a minor symptom but it can have great uh, repercussions for the individual and their performance uh, in daily life yes exactly and how do you feel because uh, as i as i hear as i listen to you i i i feel that this is something that you would like to see changed right the awareness at least of this uh of these effects will become bigger. How, how do you see this? How can we do this? Well, I think there's, there's, a, there's, there's, quite a, there's a lot of things we can do. One is to make sure that the individuals who have a TBI or mild TBI know that, they're, that they're, there are uh, typical consequences and they're, they're likely to last at least several weeks and that, so they're prepared for that. Um, but un- undoubtedly, it's also important that... Uh, uh, that employers know or other people know that that uh, their family know that there's that there are likely to be changes for a while and then a- another thing that, that we should be doing clearly and that's that i don't that's not done uh, systematically is to is just following up people with myotbi to find out if they have still had problems three months six months down the line because these are people that should be given specific help and uh, more more attention from the system Hmm. Yes, that's that's a very good idea. And do you feel that that should be done by a GP or who should fulfill that role? Um, well, it will depend on the on the care system. Um, I, th- I think it's I think it's uh, it would be good if the people that are involved in acute care did did do some did do some follow up. It can it can be very light touch. It could just be a matter of uh, of contacting people with with a few short questionnaires that would identify whether they were still having issues uh, later on, and then if they if they are, they could be advised to seek uh, appropriate help. And that what that help might be would depend on the uh, on the on the care system in the, in the place. Mm, I but, see. I see. But a lot of people are just left to to work it out for themselves, which I think is not. Is not not the best uh, solution. No, yeah, I think it, it's the worst solution, especially when it comes to uh, psychological problems. But of course, it's coming from we're developing the the whole system and 
all the knowledge about concussions is developing and that's something to be really happy about uh, it's just um i'm sorry but it sucks for the people who still have it right now um, um but that's what we're doing this for and that's uh what i'm working for uh to 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 increase um awareness and also to help people hands-on right now if they're struggling and also this conversation with you will really help because um i know that people feel lost in their feelings especially in all of the experiences that come with the concussion and the isolation and i also know i i just came up with this question i really want to ask it um i also know that people struggle with that people can others loved ones can't see their injury so it's an invisible injury and um it's hard for them to really show all of their troubles and everything they're struggling with because on the one hand when they're spending time with loved ones they want to spend it in a nice way and they don't want to talk all about their troubles because when the loved ones aren't there they already have all the troubles all the time and on the other hand they don't know where to start hmm. is there something that you could say about this something you feel would help maybe well a traumatic brain injury has been caused a silent epidemic for that reason because it's, it consists of changes and disabilities that are not obvious to other people so that is that's certainly a, a key issue um, yes. and part of this is uh, people people with traumatic brain injury understanding that they they may need help and they may they should seek help and also uh, involve the um, the relatives and, and carers so that they they're they're fully they're informed about about the kinds of changes that might have taken place now i would love to hear from you what do you take away from this episode is there something that you can apply to your life right away head on over to lifejana.com and leave your comment now and if you want to hear and read more concussion stories actionable steps and inspiration be sure to subscribe to the Lifeyana email list while you're there so that you never miss out on new materials we constantly make for you if you want to support this podcast head on over to patreon.com slash concussion stories thank you for listening to this concussion stories episode by Lifeyana. may you be well and may you be happy